0: Okay, I'll start again. No, no, I won't. I won't. I won't start again. So the title of the message last week was The Coming of Christ Foretold. The Coming of Christ Foretold. This week, it's The Work of Christ Foreknown. The Work of Christ Foreknown. When we spoke last week and we were telling about the coming of Christ, we realised that the coming of Christ occurred... And the prophecy concerning Christ occurred in Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible. The foretelling of victory was our first topic, found in Genesis 3. It continued on in Genesis, foretelling of a governor in Genesis 49. And this is where Jacob speaks to his children and he tells them about the things that are to come. And he mentions and speaks to Judah with respect to the coming of Shiloh, an ancient Hebrew word that respects the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. The next point was the foretelling of the one from everlasting, from eternity back, everlasting in return. And that was found in Micah 5. And the last point that we made was the foretelling of the day he comes. Daniel chapter 9 speaking about the very day Jesus Christ would present himself as king to Israel. And it is exciting to know that that was fulfilled on the very day. And why? Why did God give us these prophecies concerning Christ? Why did God give us so many descriptive passages relating to how he would come? You get the impression it's so we wouldn't miss him. We wouldn't miss him when he comes. But it wasn't just how he would come. It wasn't just the circumstances surrounding the Lord Jesus Christ and his coming. But it was also respecting his work, the work that he did. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And it's an identity. It's an identity of Christ that we want to be able to notice. We want to be able to see that. How how vital is it? And you think that, that the one who is promised to save mankind from his sin, promised to be the saviour of the world, should be identifiable. How important is that? It's important that we can identify him. If there was one way and one way alone that, that you could be released from a prison cell, you'd figure that the key needs to be identifiable, don't you? You need to be able to recognise that key. Now, that's not just an advantage, is it? It's not just an advantage to be able to identify the key that would open your cell. It's a prerequisite. You need to be able to see it. You need to be able to see and recognise this key that would open that cell that would set you free. Man is currently in remand. The Bible speaks of us as in a prison. And in a cell waiting for a sentence, the gift, the guilt of our sin has already been established. The condemnation is already passed and all that awaits is justice to be carried out for mankind. But there is a way, a just and a perfect way to be freed, both from the cell and from any condemnation, a way to be reprieved. And that's what we're looking for when we're looking at Christ. That's what we're looking for. So it was a way that was foretold in the Old Testament and it's a way that was foreknown and it's a way that's identifiable. God has gone out of his way, pardon the pun, to tell us in detail what to look for, respecting the promised Messiah, the promise of his coming. So the works of Christ foreknown. Foreknown. The first point is that foreknown was the works of Christ. If you've got your Bibles there, Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. And we'll just take it from verse 18. Luke chapter 7, verse 18. And he says there, And the disciples of John showed him all these things. And John, calling unto him two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus, saying... Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? When the men were come unto him, they said, John Baptist had sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? And in that same hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues, and of evil spirits, and unto many that were blind he gave sight. Then Jesus, answering, said unto them, Go your way, and tell John what things ye have seen and heard. How that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached. Clearly what what John presents here in asking the question is that there is an expectation of the coming one and the works that should follow him, the works that should follow him. He's looking ...for the Messiah and a confirmation of the Messiah. And that confirmation is found in the works of the Messiah. How do we know that those works reflect the Messiah? Well, because in all of these things, there's very little that coming together doesn't point directly to the Messiah. These are His works. And earlier on, we we read in verses 11 to 17, many of the things that happened... Uh, we recognize that, that, um, that people were raised from the dead. Um, the Bible actually says here that, and when he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother, and there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet is risen among us, and that God had visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea, and throughout all the region round about. And the disciples of John witnessed these things. The disciples of John saw them and they went back to John and told him of those things and then John asked them to come to Jesus and and ask him the question and say, are you he that should come or look we for another? How does Jesus confirm his message? He doesn't say, he doesn't get all insecure and say, are you questioning me? He says, look at the works that I've done. He says, the deaf hear, the blind see, the lame walk, the dead are raised. Show him these things and logically put those two together. John expected evidence and asks Jesus to confirm it. You know, Christians are so often charged as people who just believe by faith. We just believe things by faith. What's really interesting is that we do indeed believe things by faith, but it's the way of salvation that Christians are referring to when it speaks about faith. And what you find the world doing is that the world um, contrasts, um, they don't, they don't recognise the contrast between the works and evidence, the works that, that the Bible says cannot save you, that's why we're saved by faith, not by works. And we speak about the evidence of Christ. The way of salvation is by faith and not works. But the secular world confuses faith with evidence. And this is not what the Bible refers to. All through the Bible, it is explicit in every detail that it should be proved. How much of the Bible does that? The Bible sets forward a history and a history that we can check. The Bible sets forward and tells history in advance. And that history that's written in advance, we can check that it's actually come to pass. So God has set these things in an order that we may be able to prove Him true. Christians don't just believe in God by faith. We believe in God because the evidence of God is all around. We see it for what it is. And here we see the same thing respecting Christ. Christ was spoken of in the Old Testament hundreds, thousands of years before he made his appearance. And the works of him was testified. His coming was testified. How he would appear was testified. And now we have him. And now we look back at that event and we see, wow, that's how God had spoken about it and this is how it came to pass. And as a direct result of that, people have believed and have been saved. And the world has been changed by 12 men, very ordinary men, that changed the world because of this message. Jesus responds to him. He first shows him more of the work that he did, that, they might be, that he might be comforted. Understand something, that John the Baptist was in a prison cell at this time when he asked the question. And it was that he would be comforted. And in verse 21 of chapter 7, it says, In that same hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits, and unto many that were blind he gave sight. Then Jesus answering said unto them, Go your way, and tell John what things ye have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised... To the poor, the gospel is preached. In Psalm 146, verse 8, it says, The Lord openeth the eyes of the blind. Who is it that opens the eyes of the blind? It's the Lord. The Lord openeth the eyes of the blind. Isaiah 35, 4-6 to says, Say unto them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf, the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as an heart. He's going to jump like a deer. And the tongue of the dumb shall sing. Isaiah is filled with so many pictures uh, that seem ready to confirm the coming of Christ. In Isaiah 29 verses 18 and 19, it says, In that day shall the deaf hear and the words hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. The meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. There was a man in the New Testament um, who himself was born blind. He's in his 40s at this time. He's been blind all his life and the Lord cured him. He recognised the importance of this miracle. And he said this in John 9.32, he says... Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? Since the world began. And how many dead are raised back to life? How often has that happened in the scriptures? Well, it's happened, but it's happened only and was recognized only as a work of God. And only those who did his work could perform this this work. But in in this, with Jesus, there's something different going on here because Jesus didn't just raise someone from the dead once and that was the end of it. He healed the sick. He cured blindness. he, He cured leprosy. That's never been done. He cured all these different things, but it's a convergence of all these signs. It's all these signs coming together and resting upon one man and one man alone. And these are the works that would identify he that should come. John 4.25, you have the woman at the well. Remember the story, the woman at the well? And Jesus goes to her and he's, he's preaching the gospel of himself to this woman at the well. And she also identifies something from old, from old, that should identify Christ. And she simply says this, She says, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. She knew what she was expecting in Christ. She knew exactly what she was expecting. And the Samaritan woman, Samaritans are not of the Jews, they're not of the Gentiles. They're a mixture of both. They're a separate nation. And the scripture identifies them as a separate nation. And she was blessed with something incredible. She was blessed with the personal revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, who in the very next verse says, I that speak unto thee am he. I that speak unto thee am he. He is exactly what she was looking for. She recognized who he was. And she goes in and cries to all her townsfolk. Is not this the Christ? He's a man that told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And they all came out and followed him. And they heard his own words and identified him as the Christ. So the most fundamental question for you to address this morning, a question that I put to you this morning, with all the history written in advance concerning Christ, with all the evidence concerning him and his work that followed, with all the acknowledgement of those present at the time who would not believe in him without such evidence, And with all the works done, not by sword, nor by might, but by love, over the last 2,000 years, with billions of people testifying of his grace, will you believe? Will you believe? This isn't something done in a corner. The evidence of Christ was not something hidden from us. The evidence concerning Christ was given to us that we might see Christ and believe and be saved. You know, you can shake the bars of your prison as hard as you like and you can cut the bars and wear away the teeth of your tool, but unless you find the door, and that door is Christ, and unless you find the key, and that key is faith in Christ, the prison will retain its integrity until your appointment is kept. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it says, It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Jesus said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. He says, I am the door. I am the door. The next point is foreknown was the preparation for Christ. This is an interesting part of it, that the way of Christ should be prepared and it's culminated in John himself. After Jesus told his disciples of John that they have rightly interpreted his foreknown works as he that should come, so he's rightly identified himself with them, Jesus' next words are for the specific comfort of John himself, who wallowed in prison. John was in prison, okay? He was in prison um, on Herod's birthday. Um, and Herod's birthday is yet future. And on Herod's birthday, John would lose his life. But here in prison, he asks the question, Are you he that should come? Or look we for another? It's difficult to understand his motivation behind that. Um, on the one part, is he really asking that question based on, you know, are he's really inquiring about Jesus Christ? Or is there another motive behind that? Remember, Jesus is the cousin of John the Baptist. John the Baptist leaped in the womb of his mother when Mary, who was pregnant with child and with the Lord Jesus Christ, was just coming near. He just heard the voice of, of her salutation. And you find John the Baptist recognised the Messiah coming. Art thou he that should come or look we for another? I'm wallowing in prison. Am I here for no reason? Are you he that should come or look we for another? And Jesus tells them in verse 23 in Luke chapter 7. And he says, And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. For John witnessed Christ. Unlike the disciples of Christ, John didn't deny him. John didn't shy away or get offended by the Lord, but testified of the work with all clarity. And this is some of the things that John said. He said before Christ, he said, I indeed baptise you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptise you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and will gather the wheat into the garner, but the chaff he will burn with with fire unquenchable. This this was not a a pillow-fluffing message that seems to be preached today with many pastors keeping their people asleep. Their concern is not for the danger of their lives, but for their livelihood. John preached a direct truth, given that men might properly be warned. And not only that, that they would, be, that they would not be kept in war, kept in prison for the wrath, the day of wrath that would come. A few verses earlier, John the Baptist is saying this, He says, then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptised of him, O generation of vipers. This is, could you imagine having this message in a church service? Imagine me preaching to you this way. Just imagine for a moment, you've come to listen to me speak, right? And I address you like this, how John addressed his flock. A generation of vipers who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance and begin not to say within yourselves we have Abraham to our father for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham and now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree therefore which bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Could you imagine your response? Could you imagine? Would you be comforted by those words? I dare say these weren't comforted by those words, but they were warned. And that's exactly what John's role was to be. See, John would have had a reason to fear, should his testimony of Christ have been a false witness. But our Lord comforts him. And he says, and blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. Our passage continues. And this is what Jesus says, Luke chapter 7, verse 24 Says, and when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. So this is all the other people that are gathered at this time. He says, What went ye out into the wilderness for to see, a reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see, a man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and and live delicately, are in kings' courts. But what went ye out for to see, a prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. How incredible is this? Foreknown was not only the works of Christ, but foreknown was also the preparation for Christ. The Lord quotes here from Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. That's what he's quoting from. Do you understand? It's important that you understand that for a reason I'll tell you in a moment. But he is quoting from Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, which says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. So Jesus is affirming the Old Testament quote in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, and concludes and testifies that that speaks of John, John the Baptist. But there's another passage. Not only does the Bible tell beforehand of Jesus, but God has also given many details concerning him that should prepare the way. The passage is found in Isaiah chapter 40. If you do have your finger in Isaiah 40, as I instructed, you'll find this chapter, Isaiah chapter 40. So good to have, if you can, find a way of marking Isaiah because we're going to be going back there a couple of times. This one's Isaiah chapter 40. We'll read from verses 1 to 3. Chapter 40, verses 1 to 3. And the Lord speaking to his people. He says, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her, that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. These verses were confirmed in the Word of God in the New Testament by Matthew, by Mark and by Luke. If you're in Luke at the moment, um, turn, um, turn back one to Mark, Mark chapter 1. Because Mark in Mark chapter 1, Mark brings these two passages together. He brings these two prophecies together and he makes clear what they are. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. And it says there, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets. Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John did baptise in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. How many prophets did Mark relay here? How many prophets did he go back to and and recount? It says, in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as is written in the prophets... He gives one verse. Behold, I send my messenger before thy face. Who did Jesus say that was of? Malachi, remember? And then we have the next one where the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Sadly, modern translations have distorted this. We've got such a simple thing here. and It says, as it is written in the prophets. But every single modern translation has turned this and said, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet. Well, hang on. You could, you could look for as long as you like in Isaiah and you will not find the text, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face who will prepare my way before thee. The one who Jesus actually says was written. Well, it's not found in Isaiah. Yeah, we have the accuracy here. See, God is really, really fundamental when it comes to the accuracy of his word he wants you to understand that it's written in the prophets plural it's not written in the prophet isaiah sorry that was a little bit of an aside but just in case you see that in in a translation recognize and identify that for what it is okay it's an error there we can't have an error in the word of god it's got to be very specific so foreknown was a preparation of the way for christ to come that preparation was not done by another man who was done by another man who was foretold in the Old Testament. That we would again not miss the opportunity when Christ came. And that's the point of all this. The point of all this is that you don't miss Christ. That you don't miss him. That you don't miss him. But the interesting thing about John is John came to prepare the way. But what do we understand about John? See, the baptism of John was a baptism of repentance. What is it that will prepare your way to receive Christ? What prepares your way to receive Christ is a heart of repentance, a repentant heart. It's interesting, isn't it, how we've got something that actually happened in a physical form to prepare the way for Christ but it also reflects something very spiritual within us, that in order for us to be prepared to receive Christ, we have to have a heart of repentance, a heart that recognises our own sin, identifies our own guilt, and a desire to turn, a desire to turn and to be changed. What 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 a wonderful picture that we have there. And that's what we find in John. John the Baptist and the people asked him and the people came with that, very request after he'd spoken these things and he'd he'd condemned them in so many ways the people asked him saying what shall we do then what shall we do and that's that's the question that you should be asking what shall i do the prison guard for paul actually said the same thing he said what must i do to be saved and that's a question that we need to be able to ask when found ready to be tried for their sin there is nothing more important to ask than what should i do the next point, foreknown was the gathering to Christ. So we've got also this, foreknown as the gathering to Christ. And it's found in verse 29. We'll expound it from that point. That's referring to John, but we can extrapolate that easily enough to Christ. And we'll show that here. Verse 29, Luke chapter 7, verse 29. And all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God being baptised with the baptism of John. Here we have the gathering of people to John. And here we see the acceptance of the preparation for the way to Christ. And in like manner, we also know that there will be indeed a gathering to Christ. But you see something interesting here. John the Baptist and the gathering of people to John, these were a specific people. We know these were the Jews. These are the people of Israel. In Mark chapter 1 verse 5 it says, And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptised of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. So when John was alive, he gathered to him all of Israel. He gathered to him all of Judea. But it wasn't until after the death of Christ that a different people were gathered to him. Who was gathered to Christ? Christ. It was the Gentiles. The Gentiles were gathered to Christ. So all of you that are sitting here at the moment, you can only really be of one of two people. You're either a Jew or you're a Gentile. I'm not sure how many of you are Jewish. Uh, My name's Judetti. Someone said that it means little Jew. I don't think so. I'm pretty sure I'm Italian. But anyway. But we're all Gentiles. We're all Gentiles. And the gathering of the Gentiles will come unto the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have that first spoken about, even in Genesis 49. In Genesis 49, this prophecy for Judah, it says, and the scepter, that is the law, the desire, the, the ability to be able to perform capital punishment, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. Shiloh is the ancient Hebrew word for Messiah. And unto him shall the gathering of the people B, and we see them turn to him and then another people turn to him you're in Isaiah, t- Isaiah chapter 11 Isaiah chapter 11 Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 10 Isaiah 11 verse 10 and the text here says and in that day there shall be a root of Jesse who was Jesse Yeah, Jesse is in the line of of King David, a root of Jesse. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ came from that line. So King David, we had Jesse, King David, and then we have the Lord Jesus down the line. There shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. To it shall the Gentiles seek. The Gentiles are going to be coming to Christ. Isaiah 52 If you're in Isaiah 11, you can move forward to Isaiah 52. And also in verse 10. Isaiah 52 verse 10 says, The Lord hath made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. This was to come unto all people, all the Gentiles. The Jews make up a very, very small percentage of the world. But Jesus, in his death, would draw all men unto himself. He spoke about that, about being on the cross. And when I am lifted up, he said, I will draw all men unto me. Not during his life, clearly, but during his death. Yet John, during his life, drew the Jews to him. And indeed, that was right that would happen that way. Because the gospel had to go first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. They were the people of God. Psalm 2 verse 8 says, I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. The heathen. That's a not nice way of referring to the Gentiles, those who don't believe in God or don't see God or believe in others. In Psalm 98 2, it says, O sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvellous things. His right hand and his holy arm hath gotten him the victory. The Lord hath made known his salvation, his righteousness, hath he openly showed in the sight of the heathen. In Luke chapter 2, we've got an interesting section there of a man by the name of Simeon. So you remember Luke? Um, the Gospel of Luke speaks about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, gives so much detail concerning his birth, and indeed in the Gospel of Luke is where we generally find and use most of our Christmas accounts. So when we're talking about Christmas, we often go to Luke. That's a great representation of it. And there was a man by the name of Simeon who was told by the Holy Ghost that he should not see the end of his life until he sees The Messiah. When He lays eyes on the Messiah, it's only after that that He will be able to then depart to die. And verse twenty-nine of chapter of Luke chapter two, He says this: He says, "Lord, now lettest Thou Thy servant depart in peace, according to Thy word, for mine eyes have seen Thy salvation, which Thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light." to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. See, Paul also knew. Simeon here knew. Paul also knew. It was the case of him persistently coming up against the Jews. He was sharing the Gospels to the Jews, to the Jews first, and then to the Gentiles, to the Jews first, and then to the Gentiles. But Paul worked diligently for the Jews, for his people. Why? Because they're his people. Paul spoke about it. He said, I would that my own salvation, I would that I would be accursed from Christ for the sake of my brethren. This is the love that Paul had for his own people. And he says this in Acts chapter 13. And Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. This is to the Jews. But seeing ye put it from you, And have a a listen to these, these words. Think about this. Seeing that you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. Our gathering to Christ was also foreknown. Our gathering. Christ was foreknown. Guys, can you see all the links? Can you see them all lining up? One after another, after another, after another. John was looking for an indication that this was a Christ. You know, the Jews and the Pharisees sought a sign from Christ. They were looking for a sign. What were they looking for? They were looking for something that would point him to be the very Messiah. And one of those points is that we The Gentiles should be gathered unto Christ. How many more billions of people do you want to see turn to Christ before you would be convinced that this is the Messiah? This is Christ. This is he who was spoken of in time past. Final point this morning. Foreknown is the rejection of many. Foreknown is the rejection of many. This is the heartbreaking part of this I wanted so desperately to be able to finish on a positive note but the text doesn't allow me to do it Foreknown is the rejection of many it's found in our last verse this morning the last verse that brother Kess read Luke chapter 7 verse 30 But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves being not baptized of him How is it that men and women throughout the world reject so quickly the counsel of God? How is it? How is it that they reject their own salvation? They deny their own safety. They stave off their own security against themselves. This this passage stems from a period 2,000 years removed from us. And it might as well be spoken of today. Today. Many who have rejected the comfort of their own eternity. And so many people do so today. So it's my grief relating to those who would say to God, depart from us, for we desire not the knowledge of thy ways. That was spoken of in Job. It's a common thing for people to turn their back on God. It's a common thing for people to not even entertain the concept of God. It's a common thing today. They despise God. And yet there is a way of salvation and we preach salvation to people. We preach the love of Christ. We share the joy of the Lord. We're not antagonists, guys. We're not antagonists. We're not there to hammer people, you know, and to hurt people and to come against them with the sword, There's other endeavours of other religions that might do that, but that is not the love of Christ. Jesus said, he said to overcome evil with good. So we overcome unbelief with faith and with love and we share the hope of Christ. It's not our job to argue with people who know not the Lord and who have already rejected the Lord in their hearts. We know that many will reject the Lord. We know that and it breaks our heart to see it. And yet, our job is to love and to share. Love and share. Love and share. Share the truth of the gospel. The truth of Christ is evident everywhere. But you need to be convinced of it. The world has turned its back on the Lord to its own hurt. The world is beginning to reel to and fro like a drunkard, not knowing what is right and what is wrong. Seeking for hope having rejected the lord finding none in matters of life they suffer in matters of eternity there is no considered thought they're in danger in time and they have loss in eternity in 2009 in afghanistan the u.s military had bibles given to them in the language of the people that they came to to save and to protect the Bibles were given to them by those who, who know the true eternal prison for the Afghani people, that the Afghani people inhabit. And they desired to find a way for the love of God to be shared, to open the eyes of the blind and to free the spiritual captives from their own prison in Afghanistan in 2009. The Bibles were confiscated. And they were publicly burnt by the US Army. By the US Army. The Bibles were burnt. videoed, put on show for all the Muslims to see what the US thinks of their faith. They didn't want to share the Gospel to the Afghani people. There was some sort of a written rule that we're not there to proselytise. But you know... Saving Afghanistan and the Afghani people from a physical prison and from a, 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 a physical um, abuse in one form doesn't help them eternally. It doesn't help them eternally. And this, burnt by a nation who had been so richly blessed, whose, whose nation has written on their currency, in God we trust... I guess that every time they pick up that dollar note today, it just mocks them. In God we trust. Really? Really? This doesn't stop here. We have to be concerned about people's eternity. It's there forever that we need to be brokenhearted about and that we need to be concerned with. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come to give you a nice, cushy life. You know, he didn't come for that reason. He came to save your soul. It came that in that salvation you would have comfort. William Wilberforce was a great man in in England and a believer and he loved the Lord. And there is no question in my mind that his desire was to free the slaves. But it is one thing to to free people in physical slavery and it is quite another to free people who are in a spiritual prison. There was a, a story once relayed to me about a a gentleman who said, um, there, is one, there is one prison cell that no man can escape from. There is one prison who no one can escape from. And it's simply the one that you do not know that you're in. And that's the world today. The world is unaware that they are in a prison. Last passage I'm going to read to you this morning and we'll close. Second last. Second last. Isaiah 42, we're going to go Isaiah 42 and we'll close with Luke immediately after because I want, to, I want you to see who this is spoken of and who fulfilled this. Isaiah chapter 40, 42, Isaiah says in verse 1, Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail, nor be discouraged, till he have set judgment in the earth, and the isles shall wait for his law. Thus saith God the Lord, He that created the heavens and stretched them out, he that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it, he that giveth breath unto the people upon it, and spirit to them that walk therein, I the Lord have called thee in righteousness, and will hold thine hand and will keep thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from their prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. I've been using the example of a prison. I didn't make it up. You might notice that now. This is the prison that we're in. This is the prison that mankind is in. And that prison continues to enclose around us the more we suppress our conscience and deflect our own guilt. The more we do so, the more that prison is closed behind us. Blind we are to our state, not even aware that we sit in darkness in a prison house. And while he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him. And he with me, Revelation 3.20. Jesus came to open the eyes of the blind and he did so. This is the last verse, Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4. Jesus had done some ministry and he came in the spirit to Galilee. Verse 14, and Jesus returned in the power of the spirit unto Galilee. And there went out a fame of him through all the region round about And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Pause there for a moment. Every Sabbath day there is a passage in the Old Testament that's written, that's read publicly. And it's written, read as a, in a liturgical fashion. So this week it's this one, this week it's this one, this week it's this one, this week it's this one. So there is a set order of Bible readings in the synagogues. Okay, On this day was this reading, and it was a reading that I just gave you in Isaiah 42. Jesus now has the scroll. He stands and this is what he reads. Verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. And he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogues were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. The works of Christ were foreknown. The works of Christ were foreknown from eternity past. And those works are summarized in verse 19 of this passage. I just read to you, it's summarised there, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That's why he came. That is what he came to preach. He came to preach the gospel of Christ to a world that is lost and in prison and in darkness. And you, you are blessed to be his disciples. You are blessed to share this word to people to carry on the work of Christ. That's a witness to them. It's a witness to them. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thanks we give you, dear Father, that all your work was spoken of in eternity past. All your work was written in a book and it was written in a book that all people would recognise you when you came. And we recognise you, dear Lord, But we pray, dear Father, that you would give us the encouragement to share that wonderful truth to all people this season. I ask you, dear Lord, that you would open up their eyes of the blind and that we, dear Father, might be able to show them the key. We pray, dear Lord, for your continuing work. Bless us, dear Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.